Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. brand new series called hey you guys are smart we practiced that last week i wasn't sure if y'all were gonna get it but you got it uh we're kicking off this series called increase and we started last week and today we're going to continue on with this series called increase and i want to direct your attention to the reading now would you do me a favor would you go with me to the book of luke and we're going to start off in chapter two again just a minute ago we were talking about this and uh and, and I said I'd bring you back to it one more time, but but Luke chapter 2, and I want to pick up at verse 41, and we're going to read through 41 all the way through 52. If you didn't get your Bible reading in this week, I'm going to help you get some of that done right now, okay? Got a lot of verses to read. Y'all ready? Reads as follows. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance and when they found him not they returned back again to Jerusalem to seek him so so let me just paraphrase this Mary and Joseph though they were entrusted with the savior of the world they lost him (laughs) And, and and it goes on to say that it took them three days to find their son Jesus and when they finally found him they had to go back to Jerusalem to find him okay so moving on it says and it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And listen to what Jesus says back to his mom. How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? He's the, he really, I mean, like, this is something that Jesus said to his mother that had I said this to my mother, she, she, she would have told me back, wait till your dad gets home. <laughs> my mom was an incredible mom. She never spanked me. But the minute she said, wait till your dad gets home, I mean, I just went and I hid in my room. You know what I mean? I was rethinking the meaning of life, you know, <laughs> was questioning the decisions I was making with my life because the minute she said that, she meant it. I mean, my mom rarely said that. But when she said that, it was on. <sighs> my dad's right here, by the way. If you want to talk to him, report him to CPS. No, I'm kidding. And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. This is our key verse right here. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. I had a sermon prop. I don't know where it went, but if someone can help me bring those sermon props back up, I'd greatly appreciate it. I want to lead you in a prayer right now as we pray for what God um, has put in my heart to share with you all. But I have this thought that I've entitled, is there purpose for my pain? Is there purpose for 
my pain. Could you close your eyes and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the incredible things that you are doing in and through this church. Father, we pray that you would be with us now as we dive into your word. Pray, Father, that you would open up every heart, that you would open up every mind to receive what you have for us. Father, I believe that you want to speak in a special way. And I believe, Lord God, that you have a powerful word that you want, to, you want to deposit into our lives. So now, Father, we pray that you speak, Lord God. In your precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Yeah, you know, just put it right up here, JP. Thank you. All right. And you may be seated. Give the Lord a round of applause. That's it. All right. We'll mess with that later. How many remember the time-honored tradition of picking teams in school? Do you guys remember what that was like when you had to pick teams in school, in grade school in particular? Typically what would happen was they would get the two most athletically gifted people and make them the captains. Y'all remember that? And then they'd say, okay, everybody, line up along the gate, right? And one by one, they'd start to pick the best players. Listen, when it came to this stuff, there was no affirmative action, right? When it came to this stuff, they were picking the people that had the most skill, regardless of color, regardless of gender, regardless of qualification. It was, I want the best players on my team. Do y'all remember this? It was a little nerve wracking. Maybe it wasn't for you because you were athletically gifted, but for me and my short self, this wasn't exactly something that I looked forward to. You see, me and my short self, when it came to basketball, it may surprise you, but I was always picked last. I know, I know. Big, big shocker. You probably thought that I had hops, but I don't. I'm terrible at basketball. As a matter of fact, because I was picked last in basketball so many times, I began to resent <laughs> the game of basketball. And to this day, if you say, Pastor Josh, we want to go hoop, I'm going to say no, no, and no. But I'll come make fun of you. Like, that I will do. Like, I'll show up and heckle, you know what I'm saying? I'll be like, you airball. You know, I'll show up and do that. But don't ask me to play basketball because I am just horrible at basketball. And, um, but you know what I think is actually a little worse than being picked last? I would say worse than being picked last is not being picked at all. All right? Come on. That, that kind of stings. There, there's, there's some rejection in there when they've got to build out a team and you don't get picked. It's kind of a strange thing, but this is actually part of the process of synagogue school in Jewish culture. In Jewish culture and in synagogue school, as little boys and little girls began to grow older, and if you go back to biblical times, when they got to be about five years old, little boys and girls would go to school that was called Bet Sefer. And Bet Sefer means the house of the book. Bet Sefer, that, that, that's Hebrew, is where they taught little boys and girls the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This is also known in the Jewish culture as the Torah or the books of Moses. So these first five books were taught orally to boys and girls. The Hebrew culture is kind of like the Native American culture in that it's an oral tradition. Things are taught orally. Things are handed down orally to the children. And from five years old and on, little Hebrew boys and girls would memorize all of the Old Testament, the, the first five books, they were memorizing the Torah. And, and it's crazy to think about because some of you have a hard time reading through Genesis. How many of you struggle getting through Leviticus? Come on, how many have ever had to read the Bible in a year and you got to like Leviticus or Numbers and you're like, oh my God. I'll tell you, if, you got, if you're having a hard time sleeping, read Numbers. <laughs> Put you right to bed. You will not need no melatonin or nothing. You just, you know, right to bed. Might have you questioning the meaning of life. But uh, 
And, and so, but these little boys and girls would, would recite this by memory. When they got to be about 10 to 12 years old, they would now go to the synagogue. And when they show up at the synagogue, these little boys and girls that were between the ages of 10 to 12 years old would then begin to ask questions about the Torah. You see, prior to that, you didn't ask any questions. You just like did it. I think the Hebrews were onto something because like you didn't get to ask questions until you were 10. I got a seven-year-old at home. Sometimes I feel like telling him, you don't get to ask questions until you turn 10. Because you know how many parents know that once they start asking, they don't stop asking. Yeah, amen. See, I'm not the only one who needed deliverance this morning. But between the ages of 10 to 12 years old, they now start to discuss the scriptures. They, they start to ask questions. And then little boys beyond that at the age of 12 years old and moving on, if they demonstrate mastery of the Torah, and if they demonstrate mastery in the handling of the Torah they, and, 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 and the books of Moses, and they ask the right questions and they had the right insight, they would move on to something that's called Bet Madrash. Now, Bet Madrash means the house of learning. And in Bet Madrash, they were now taught the rest of the Old Testament, the poetic books, the prophetic books, the Psalms. And, and so, so they would not just learn the first five books, but every other book of the Old Testament that they had in their hand, they would begin to memorize all of those texts as well. You might be wondering, what in the world does this have to do with anything, Pastor Josh? The thing is, you had to be picked out of Bet Sefer to move on to Bet Madrash. And it didn't just stop there. But once you got to be about 18 years of age, then the rabbis who had been listening to all of these little boys ask questions in the synagogue would then hand select the little boys that they wanted to follow them to be their disciples. They called this the Talmud in, in, in Hebrew. And so if you were not handpicked, here's what would happen. You would go back home and you would go into your father's business. You went back to the family trade so so much like picking teams in grade school if you got through bet sefer you got to go to bet madrash if you made it out of being if you made it out of bet madrash you got to be a disciple and from the ages of 18 to 30 years old the disciples would follow the rabbi and at 30 years old the disciples were then released to become rabbis and they then would select their own disciples now why do i say all that what do we see Jesus at 12 years old doing? We read about it this just a few minutes ago. What do we see Jesus doing at 12 years old in the synagogue? Sitting down, asking questions. Now, notice that when Jesus is asking questions to the doctors, everyone is blown away, right? It's like, it's, it's kind of like uh, unfair because Jesus is the word. John said that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So, so of course, Jesus is going to shine because he's like the ultimate cheat code. You know what I'm saying? All the gamers know what I'm talking about. Like, he is the cheat code. And so he is the word. And so he's, he's, he's asking these questions to the doctors. He's asking these questions to the religious leader. But what you get here in this moment is you get a flash of who he is. The reason Luke inserts this, because it's only in Luke. You don't find this in Matthew, Mark, or John. But only Luke inserts this event in Jesus' life. And in a way, he's showing us a glimpse of who Jesus is. Every single step of the way, we see Jesus excelling. Now, now, when did Jesus begin his ministry here on earth? At 30 years old. Why? He was released as a disciple to now be a rabbi. This is, all, this is why all throughout the New Testament, they didn't just call him Jesus or the son of God or the son of Joseph. They called him rabbi. Why? Because he was a rabbi. He went through the process that Hebrew boys went through to become a rabbi. Now, contrast this with the disciples. How many know who I'm talking about when I talk about the 12 disciples that Jesus handpicked to go and follow him everywhere? Because when Jesus becomes a rabbi, he does something unconventional. 
what the rabbis do is they go to Bet Madrash and they handpick all the smart kids out of the synagogue and, he's, and, and they say, you're going to be my disciples. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus does. What Jesus does is he goes to the seashore. And he sees Peter, and he sees Andrew, and he sees James, and he says, John, and he says, hey, why don't you come be my disciples? And they're like, like, for real? Like, yeah, come be my disciples. Get this for a second. They were rejects. They, they didn't get picked. Their, their time had already come and gone, whether it was Bet Sefer or Bet Madrash, or they weren't called to be disciples. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, by the fact that they were fishing now, it lets you know that they had experienced the pain of being told, you're not good enough. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes to the marketplace. And when he gets to the marketplace, he sees a man by the name of Simon. And Simon is a tax collector for the Roman government. In other words, he was a Jewish man that collected taxes for the enemy, if you will. So this guy was the ultimate sellout, the ultimate turncoat. I mean, this is the guy that you're like, come on, man. You're on the wrong team. You are, you are Jewish. Why are you collecting taxes for Rome? Rome's the enemy. And Matthew's like, I got to pay these bills one way or another and Jesus looks at him collecting taxes and he says to him come and follow me if Matthew's collecting taxes that lets you know that he also was rejected and didn't make it to be a disciple it doesn't stop there he he he, he now goes to Simon he goes to Simon the zealot the, the guy the disciple Simon the Simon the zealot I mean this guy is like the original woke guy what 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 zealots were at that time is they were fighting back against the system of Rome so he's this Jewish guy that's a zealot he's pushing back against the establishment of Rome right it's like all these Jewish like like we don't want to be under Rome but they really couldn't do anything because Rome was so big and so powerful they would they would squash them so they were this little group of like anarchists, if you will, and they're pushing back against Rome. Again, not, not, not in the synagogue, not in Bet Madrash. And Jesus comes to Simon and says to Simon, I want you to leave all of that behind. You stop with, all being, stop with being a zealot and be my disciple. And Simon's like, for real? Like, you want me to leave all this behind and be your disciple? Yeah, yeah, come be my disciple. So the fishermen, the tax collector, and the zealots were all rejects. They were all people that had been told you are not good enough. They were all people that had been told you are not smart enough. They were people that had been told you do not have what it takes to go on to the next level. And what does Jesus do? He goes and he says, you guys are going to be my disciples. Do you guys start to see why the Jews had a problem with Jesus? Because rather than going the, to the synagogue and to pick out the 12 brightest kids that he can find, he went and he found people that were rejects. And when he picked these rejects, he was starting to upset the system. He was starting to upend the religious system of his time. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Just because you too have experienced pain doesn't mean that Jesus disqualifies you. All of these disciples experience the pain of rejection. And what does Jesus do? He goes and he calls them. He goes to the people that had been told no, and he says, I'm going to use you. And we don't see Jesus just doing this for the 12 disciples. How many know that Jesus did this all throughout his earthly ministry? He always went to the broken. He always went to the oppressed. He always went to the marginalized. He always went to the disenfranchised, and he said, I'm here for you. He did it for the 12 disciples. How many remember Saul? Saul was a religious man that was persecuting the church. One day, Jesus had enough of him 
persecuting the church that Jesus has uh, uh, an experience with him where he radically converts Saul and then changes his name. And then he says, okay, now that I have changed your name and now that I have changed your identity, I am going to use you to be my apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, talk about a change. Now, Jesus wasn't just upsetting the religious system. He's even starting to upset his own followers. Like, why are you using Saul? He kills Christians. And Jesus turned him around. The woman at the well in John chapter 4, she was the first evangelist to the whole region of Samaria. Jesus used a woman with a very sketchy past and an even sketchier present, and he said, I'm going to use you to evangelize all of Samaria. You see, Jesus had this habit of using people that were disqualified by others. Jesus had this habit of using people who were rejects. Jesus had this habit of going to the people that the system marginalized and said they aren't good enough, and Jesus used them to accomplish his purpose here on earth. The system sought to disqualify people because of their mistakes. The system marginalized people because they lived on the wrong side of the country, such as the Samaritans. The system canceled people because if they were sick, what would they do at this time? They'd get all the sick people and they would cast them away. If they were poor, they would cast them away. The system, the religious system in Jesus' time was actually built on the pain of rejection and disqualification. Think about that for a second. That's what Jesus stepped into. When Jesus comes to here, when Jesus finally comes, when God comes unto this world, he sees now a system that looks nothing like his nature. This world looked absolutely nothing like the nature of God. And so what happened was this system is disqualifying people right and left. And Jesus is saying, if you've experienced pain and if you've experienced rejection, then you are uniquely qualified for my kingdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, if you've experienced pain and if you've experienced hurt, you are now uniquely qualified. I want you to write this down. The pain you've experienced in your life, Lighthouse, uniquely qualifies you to receive God's grace. Come on. If you've experienced any sort of pain, you are now uniquely qualified to receive something incredible from God that you cannot receive from anyone else. God's going to come and visit you and bring a measure of grace into your life and use every hurt in your life as a way to greater reveal himself to you. The problem is we think that our pain and we think our disqualification and our rejection sets us up to be canceled, but God says your rejection and your disqualification sets you up to receive more of my love. It sets you up to receive something even greater for me. Now, the reason I believe that the pain that you've experienced uniquely qualifies you is I believe that pain is the birthplace for a calling. Say that one more time. Your pain is the birthplace for God to come and to call your life. I believe this is the reason why. Listen, this is the reason why Jesus went to the rejected the rejected men, Simon, Peter, Andrew, John, and the list goes on. He went to them because he needed people who had experienced the pain of rejection so that he could take them to go and sit with other people who were living with the pain of rejection. I'm going to say that one more time. Unless you've experienced the pain of rejection, you cannot sit with someone and identify their hurt and their pain. And we're living in a culture and we are living in a world right now that is telling people not to empathize with people's pain. 
not to hurt when people hurt. But it's the word of God that says you need to weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. Now, when someone's excited, come on, you party right there with them. But God needs to use some people that have been rejected to sit with others who are being rejected. Isaiah Uh, Mark chapter 2 verse 16 through 17 reads as follows but when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and other sinners they asked his disciples why does Jesus eat with such scum but when Jesus heard this listen now he told them healthy people do not need a doctor sick people do I have not I have come to call not those who think they are righteous but those who know that they are sinners Jesus said I need to get me a team of people they're not the religious prodigies they're not the little boys that have never had to go through any pain they're not the little boys that know the scriptures in and out they're not the little boys that have been propped up to be a disciple all of their life no I need men that have experienced rejection so that they can go with me to the dark corners of this world and bring them love and bring them hope I need people who have experienced rejection to go with me into places and to sit with others who are experiencing rejection can I tell you that it's one thing for you to go to someone and tell them uh, I know a God that that can heal you I know a God that that can change you but it's another thing for you to go to someone and say I've been where you've been I've sat where you sat. I've made the same mistakes that you've made. And let me tell you, I've personally experienced the God who picked me up when I was at my worst spot in life. He picked me up and he is now using me for his glory. There's something about you saying he did it for me. Here's the thing about a personal testimony. A testimony. Nobody can argue with your experience. Nobody can. You want to argue with me about whether or not you believe God exists? Fine. You want to argue with me or not about whether the world was created in seven literal days? Fine. You want to argue with me about how old the planet Earth is? Fine. But one thing you cannot argue with me about is the experience that I've received. You can't argue with the love that God has poured in my life. You can't argue with the pain that I once felt that God healed me from. And so he calls some men that can go and sit with the sinners and say to them, I know what you've done, and I've been where you've been, and I've experienced the hurt that you've experienced. I believe that's why Jesus' process of calling the men went the way that it went. I wrote some notes. I'm going to read them because there's no way I'm going to memorize them. But I, I imagine it went something like this. Is Jesus was looking for people to call. He looks at Peter and Andrew, and if you know about Peter and Andrew, they weren't just fishermen, but they owned the fishing business. And I think Jesus, knowing them and their hurt, it probably went something like this. Peter and Andrew, through the pain of your rejection, it caused you to become business owners. The reason you're excelling here on earth is because you've built your success on the pain of your rejection. Sometimes you're thinking, oh, only, the only people that need God are, are, are the people that are strung out on addictions or, or people that are strung out on this or, or, or living out on the street. Can I tell you, there are a lot of successful people that equally need God. Because their success is built on the pain of their rejection. They've not been healed yet. Sure, it looks good on the outside, but do you know the foundation of that success? He probably goes to John, and he goes over to James. These were two brothers. They were called the Sons of Thunder. (laughs) Think about that for a nickname, Sons of Thunder. I mean, they must have been rough. I mean, you had to be some rough boys to be nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. It's like, here come these dudes. They're rough. And I'm sure God's looking at them when he calls them and says, yeah, I know you're tough on the outside, but I know the truth. You got picked on a lot as a kid. 
And this tough skin that you have right now, the reason people are afraid of you is because someone took advantage of you. And because you said, I'll never let anyone take advantage of me again, you've got this facade of being a tough guy. And then he goes to Matthew, the traitor, the tax collector. And he looks at Matthew and he tells him, your own people hate you, but yet you still choose money over people. You still choose money over people because you couldn't find anyone that could relate to you. And he says, I see your pain. I know you're hurt. And then he goes to Simon the Zealot. Simon, you are an anarchist. You are a scourge to the Roman Empire, and you are a liability. But Simon, I know that you're an opportunist, and the fact that I'm calling you makes you think that you can leverage me to accomplish your purpose here on earth. And then he looks at Judas, knowing that Judas is going to steal money and sell Jesus. And, and, and he looks at him and he's like, Judas, you're a thief. And I know the tendencies you have in your heart. And yet I'm still calling you. So, so Jesus looks at all of these people. And you know what he does? He says, that's my dream team right there. <laughs> he says, that's my dream team right there. He knew everything about them. He knew their proclivities. He knew their weaknesses. He knew where they would fail him. And yet he said, that's my dream team right there. That's who I'm going to use to turn this world upside down. Those are the people that I am going to use to build my kingdom here on earth. Those are the men that I'm going to pour my spirit into. And they then are going to use, and they then are going to preach this gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Listen, these were men who had been canceled by synagogue school. These were men that had been canceled by the religious process. But just know that your mistakes do not cancel you. They uniquely qualify you to be used by God in an incredible way. Come on, somebody give God praise for that. All these mistakes uniquely qualified these people to be used by God. It was the pain of their rejection that God said, I could use you. It was the pain of their disqualification that God said, I could use you. It was the pain that they felt growing up that God said, I can use you. And there's a reason why I believe God uses broken people. And there's a reason why I believe God brings purpose into your pain. You see, if you go back to Luke chapter 2, and if you read this one more time and start going back to the original language, that word increase in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that word increase, it comes from the Greek word prokopto, prokopto. And that Greek word prokopto means to beat forward, to lengthen out by hammering as a smith forges metal, okay? I want you to get this visual because what a smith would do is it would take a piece of metal, place it on top of an anvil, and then he starts to hammer that piece of metal until it's shaped the way that he wants that metal to be shaped. This is what the Bible calls increase. This is what the scripture says. When it said that Jesus increased with both God and with man, it didn't mean that Jesus had a big house. It didn't mean that Jesus had a nice chariot. It didn't mean that Jesus had a lot of followers. When it said that Jesus increased, I want you to get this visual right here. This is what it meant to increase in the days of the scripture. What this is saying is that Jesus' experience was not an easy one. 
What this is saying is that Jesus' increase didn't come without pain. Now, I know that messes with the Western view of Christianity that tells you the minute you say yes to Jesus, he's going to give you a car and he's going to give you a mansion and everything's going to go your way and you're never going to have a bad day. Everything's just going to be so perfect in your life. But what if the increase in your life more resembled a hammer hitting metal? What if the increase in your Christian experience was less of ease and more of pain? What if the Christian experience that you had to go through was something that hurt, was something that was not easy, was something that was different than what somebody promised you? We don't think about it that way. When we think about increase, we're like, God's going to increase my bank account. God's going to increase the car I drive. I used to drive a Fiesta, now I drive a Tesla. I mean, like, we say these things in church. And there are preachers that preach like this. But when I look at the meaning of increase, increase means that you lengthen through the pain. You lengthen through being hammered. You lengthen as a smith beats metal to lengthen out your life. And some of you want more influence with people, but you're unwilling to go through the process of increase. Some of us want to be used by God, but we don't like this very much. Many of us want God to use us to accomplish his plans here on earth. We want to do big things for the kingdom of God, but this right here, we don't like this. That's uncomfortable. That's not the brand of Christianity that we're used to hearing in our Western culture. But that's how Jesus increased. When Jesus became a rabbi, it didn't matter that he knew the word better than anyone else. I'm coming to a close now. It, it, it didn't matter that Jesus could quote the scriptures better than anyone else. And let's take it another step. When Jesus was a rabbi, he healed the sick. He caused blinded eyes to be opened up. He was making deaf people hear. I mean, you would think, right, that everyone would say, this is him. This is the guy. But instead, what did they do to Jesus? They rejected him. They, they rejected him. And so when Luke says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, just know that the wisdom and the stature in his life and the favor that he had with God, watch this now, the favor that he had with God came from pain. The favor that he had with God came from the stings of rejection. Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet Isaiah would write this, and this is prophetic towards Christ. It says this, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Everybody say increase. increase. That's the increase sometimes that's going to happen in your life. The increase that you're going to go through in life might be just like that. It's the pain of rejection. It, it's, it's the pain of your brokenness. But listen, for some of you, you're probably thinking like, man, Pastor Josh, you're supposed to put me in a good mood this morning. Maybe I'm not talking to you right now. Maybe I'm talking to someone right now who's wondering why you're experiencing so much pain in your life. Maybe I'm talking to somebody right now in this moment that feels like they've been having a hammer beat on them over and over and over again. 
Maybe I'm talking to someone right now that's wondering, is there a reason that I'm going through the pain that I'm going through right now? Can I tell you that there's a purpose for your pain? Can I tell you that God will use that pain for his glory? Can I tell you that God is going to use your brokenness and use it to accomplish his plan for your life? But, but you've got to be willing to go through it. Look at your neighbor and tell them, go through. Come on, look at the other one and tell them, go through. Because here's what happens. I'm coming to a close right now. Listen, there's a response here that has to happen. There's a response here. Jesus tells Peter, Andrew, James, and John, leave all that behind and follow me. Watch this now. They don't see the purpose in their pain if they don't leave their boat. Matthew, leave your tax collecting behind and follow me. Matthew doesn't see God's redemptive plan for his pain unless he walks away from that table. Simon, you zealot, would you leave all of that behind and follow me? Simon doesn't see the redemptive plan of God in his life if he doesn't walk away from being a zealot. Listen to me, good lighthouse. You'll only see the purpose of God through your pain, through your pain if, you're willing to run, if you're willing to walk towards Jesus. If you don't run towards him, you'll never experience it. If, if you don't get to the Father, you'll never know why you had to endure what you endured. <laughs> Hear me, Lighthouse. Some of you are hurt. Some of you are in pain. Some of you are dealing with brokenness. Run to the Father today. Come on, run to the Father today. Le leave all of that behind and run to him today. Because you'll never see his redemptive plan in your life unless you're willing to run away from that. Can I pray with you? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I pray right now for every person that is feeling like they are dealing with brokenness. I, I pray over every person that is wondering why they had to deal with the heartache. Why they had to deal with the loss. Why are they going through the trauma that they are going through. Why can't things be easy for them like they are for other people? Why is their marriage the way that it is? Why did their marriage end? Why are their kids suffering? Why am I going through all of this? And it's okay to cry out and question. And it's okay to wonder why. But Lighthouse, let me tell you, you've got to now run to the heart of the Father. You'll never see his redemptive plan in your life if you don't run to the Father. So right there where you're at, would you just begin to turn your heart towards him? Would, would, would you turn your heart from being hard and calloused and run towards the heart of the Father? Will you now run towards the heart of the Father and say, God, I know that you're going to redeem my pain. I know that you're going to bring a purpose to the hurt. I know that you are going to bring purpose to the rejection that I feel. I know that you're going to make sense of it all. It doesn't feel good right now, God, but I trust you. I believe in you. And I know that you're not done with me yet. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.